Hey folks, welcome to another edition of WPOV Quarantine. I'm your host, Legend T. James Logan. With me, an illustrious panel, and I say that very illustriously, we have our co-hosts of the night, the lone wolf Andy Anderson, who's apparently a sofa king. I'm not sure what that's about. Andy, welcome to the show. Pleasure, as always. And we also have uh, Elio Canellis, your uh, erstwhile son. Welcome back, Elio. He's quiet, as always. He's frozen in time. <laughs> He's frozen in time. And joining us over from frozen WPOV... Time. From WPOV Wrestling, Rick Serrano III. Hey, people. Oh. And we have a special guest with us, Steve Stryker from All Star Wrestling in the Vancouver area. Greetings Steve, and salutations from Chilliwack. Ooh, salutations. That sounds fancy. It looks like we're going to have Lee ourselves over there. <laughs> yeah, Keith Lee. <laughs> I have to adjust the color here on the monitor. Hey, listen, man. I broke in in 92. Keith Lee stole that from me, pal. There you oh. go. But Limitless. Yeah. Limitless. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, fans? Today on Quarantine, we decided to take a topic of talking about some of our favorite wrestling matches of all time. And we thought we'd go around and take turns talking about some of the matches and discuss why these are our favorite and point out some of the things that make some of the matches favorites to you, too. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, because I noticed when we sent in lists of all these matches that we like, Nobody had any matches really that were in the last 10 years. So why is that? Why is wrestling not so, I don't know, why are matches not such a big thing? Because it seems we're living in an era right now where there's an awful lot of clips, an awful lot of let's glide through these matches. Nobody sits through the old days like where we just sit there and watch. And speaking about old, let's start with Andy Anderson. Andy, what is the first match that you're going to vote? Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> You know, I had to slip one in. <laughs> oh, every now and then I slip one in. That's 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 the truth. That's what she that's said. What she said. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nothing but originality on this show. Yeah. Oh, Zinga. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? It's probably it's probably very apropos that we're uh, starting off with me because uh, one of uh, my picks is probably I think one of the best matches of all time. Okay. And uh, I will say that with a great deal of bias, but I'm going to pick from WrestleMania 18, The Rock versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan. All right. Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. Now we're dealing here with a Hulk Hogan near the end of his career yep. and Hulk, and The Rock, who's already established himself as a superstar. Yep. Many people thought saw this as sort of a passing of the torch match. Andy, what was big to you about this match? All right, well, before we get started, let's keep in mind here that this match took place in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And we're all Canadians here. A lot of Canadians, but also, you know, if, over the past, you, you know, WWE always refers to Toronto and Montreal, or just Canada in general, when they do TV tapings or pay-per-views, as Bizarro World. Mm -hmm. because we basically i think we were the kind of, kind of the ones that were kind of hijacking the sh you know hijacking the show and doing things and cheering for who we want to cheer before it became a regular thing for the monday nights after wrestlemania and what have you so in this scenario we've got hogan as the heel coming in facing rock who's the giant baby face but yet when the introductions are made the crowd is clearly behind hogan and that's just Canada being Canada, whether it's nostalgia, whether it's Bizarro World or whatever, and The Rock being the heel. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I love the most about this, when we talk about wrestling and we talk about working and, you know, we look at, you know, not just, okay, well, what are the moves, but like the stories that are being told, the emotions that are involved, listening to the crowd. And if there's any match 
that gives you a better example of listening to the crowd and working with that and feeding off that, please show me because I think you're going to be hard pressed to find it when it's like one of the top matches with two of the greatest wrestling superstars of all time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you go back and look and, and if you, if you read interviews about it, I mean, you know, the match was originally set up as Hogan as the heel and rock as the baby face. So essentially they had to switch before the match even started or kind of once, you know, after the few initial lockups and that was, and to me, that's one of the, one of the things I love it. I love the most mm-hmm. is that that to me was one of the best examples of working. You know, people can go and they can watch the match like, well, they didn't do much. There wasn't a lot of big moves. They didn't need to do anything. They didn't, you know, that, you know, when you talk about less is more, you talk about the emotion, you talk about, you know, letting the, the imagination run. This is one of the best examples of that. And from start to finish, from curtain to curtain, you know, the crowd's in it the entire way. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I mean, you guys are wrestling fans, Mr. Steve Stryker, a former wrestler himself. I mean, you know, that the more the crowd's into it, the more fun we're going to have, the more we're going to enjoy it. If the crowd's silent, you know, that's chances are they don't care. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. sorry for, uh, for Triple H and Jericho having to follow that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's why I, mean, I didn't say the main yeah. event because we know it wasn't the main event, although in retrospect, it, it definitely, yeah, well, it, yeah. I mean, it wasn't positioned as the last match main event, but you're right. It, it was the main event of that show. And it's important to note too, that, you know, when I said this was Hulk Hogan uh, at the end of his career here, it, it's, it's interesting to note that this was a very, it wasn't like a, a Bill Goldberg, let's, you know, burn out our energy super quick and get out of there to show how weak we are. Hogan did a full match here, despite the fact he was physically limited. I mean, I think he was up to this point. He wasn't even doing leg drops anymore. Right. Because it, it didn't hurt him or something like that. Yeah. I think he still ended up doing one or two though. Cause I think yeah. he hit one and I think he missed one. Yeah. But he'd all been, he'd been on record of saying, you know, he was beyond yeah. trying to yeah. do these kind of spots because physically it was tearing him apart. Uh, yeah. I remember in this match, I remember that the most, the part where I knew this was going to be something really cool was that just the very opening yep. where before they even locked up, you remember they kind of stopped and they yep. both looked at the crowd and like that yeah. went on for two minutes, but it didn't feel like, uh, no come more. on guys, get your crap together. I got goosebumps just as you right talk now. About it. Yeah. That's, just talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Right. Me too. I emotional got a connection. Too. Emotion. That's a little more than I need to know <laughs> that emotional connection. You'll get your chance to slip one in, Rick Serrano. Don't worry. That's what she said. Why are those Americans? Why are they so little potty mouth? Or is it just New Yorkers? <laughs> so, um, anyone, anyone else want to bring up any points about this match? Yeah, I mean, this match was one of the greatest matches. Like Andy said, it was amazing. Um, I mean, technically, it wasn't a great match, but mm-hmm. the the story behind it and the story they told in that ring. The hell yeah, man. I mean, we, and what led after that, we got red and yellow back, you know, we got Hulk Hogan back. Mm-hmm. So it was just a huge moment. <laughs> like you said, it, it made the rock a bigger, I mean, how could yeah. he even gotten any bigger? He got mm-hmm. way bigger after that. And it was literally the torch being passed. So yes. I was an icon versus icon, like everything that this match said it was going to be. It was. Yeah. It delivered. And then some. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, I can't remember the year that was again, but did he do the rundown just after that match? I'm not sure because I want to say that would have been like 2000, 2002, 2001. Yeah, 2002. So that's be around the time he did the rundown, right? 
Yeah. Oh, the yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, I think go ahead, Elliot. It would run down with Hmm. I can Robot understand Elio? a word he's saying. Robot Elio has, has checked out. 2003, okay. <laughs> yeah, 2003, yeah. Okay, so yeah, very close to that. Um, That's a hell of a transition. 2003. One thing I do want to point out here is, uh, you know, we've all made a good point here, is that you don't necessarily need to have a super scientific, super athletic match to make a match super great. I mean, I'm going to throw a quick example here that uh, Elio and Andy will know. We just watched uh, last night, we just watched, if I wrote down all the moves that Kenny Omega and Ray Phoenix did and wrote them out and you read them, you'd go, holy crap, that was the best match I ever saw. Yet the three of us kind of said, yeah, but it's kind of lacked a little something. You know, they did 100,000 intricate, super hard moves that we couldn't, I probably all five of us here could never even dream of actually pulling off in our lives. They did this crap and, and it was like, okay, you know, like it, it, it still didn't resonate as a super great thing. Yet here is a, a match where they didn't have a hundred thousand different intricate moves or all this stuff. And yet I guarantee you more people will always remember that match than the match we had last night. Emotional connection. Emotional connection. Well, when, exactly. you, when you look at it too, you know, one of the advantages that Hogan had going into that is, of course, WrestleMania 6, same building, mm -hmm, against yeah. the Ultimate Warrior. And back in those days, and that was 1990, mm -hmm. in fact, um, and the very first event to ever happen in then Skydome, I understand. Mm -hmm. um, my uncle, by the way, was an architect on that building. Just a brag point for my wow. family. Wow. <laughs> um, the, the Hogan Warrior match at that time, not to get off topic, was mm -hmm. the first time you really saw title versus title. Yeah. on top right so you mm -hmm. think about that energy and you think about people like lance storm and, and edge and all these guys that were actually in the building and they talk about that all the time and then you, yeah. you, you go to wrestlemania 18 in the same building and now those people are under contract with that company so it adds that extra layer of hype mm -hmm. and again yeah. not having to touch i mean any any worker worth his his weight or her weight in gold knows how to work a crowd without getting physical because one of the old school things about this business is the bump card people mm -hmm. yeah. forget about the bump card and if you're familiar with the bump card, you'll understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. All right. I got to throw, I'm going to throw out just because he did that drop. Mm -hmm. I was in Toronto that night. Mm -hmm. I was at a hotel by the airport because I was on a school trip. We missed our connecting flight and we had to stay overnight in Toronto. So it was torture for me as a lifelong Ooh, wrestling fan to be, that to be in the same city to be you know like we got there like like i think like late afternoon early evening so to be there and and I mean, at the time i mean you don't have wwe network and i that was still around the times of like uh closed circuit tv pay-per-view that way like you know there was no way in the hotel i couldn't couldn't subscribe to it so i was going nuts and i had to wait i mean because again i couldn't I didn't have anybody to call. I, there was no mm -hmm. internet for me to look up. Oh, who won? Who won? I remember trying to like talk to staff of the hotel going, Hey, are you following wrestling? Do you know what happened? I got up first thing the next morning. I went down to the lobby. I went into the gift shop and I bought all the newspapers. I still have them packed away and all about where it had like, you know, ultimate warrior on the, the, the front page with him holding up both belts. And Ooh. I remember being so disappointed <laughs> because I mean, I'm sure yeah. we can have a conversation on this. I'm a, I'm a Hogan guy. I was never a warrior guy. So it chafed me mm -hmm. to see, you know, that warrior had, uh, had 
you know, won the match. Mm-hmm. But man, like it, it was just pure torture, you know, and I, I'd have to wait. That was WrestleMania six. So it was another 14 years before I actually got to my first WrestleMania. Wow. 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 And that was wow. a good one you were at too at Madison Square Garden. Uh, one of the best. <laughs> but now, let me tell you this yeah, real quick about, cause, cause we're talking about, we're talking about great matches. We talk about Hogan and Warrior, man. That match is what drew me to the wrestling. You know, I mean, I'm not as old as everybody else. You know what I'm saying? But I'm, I'm but still in control that, of this room, pal. <laughs> that match, that match in itself, man. I was a warrior fiend, man. I love Ultimate Warrior, and that right there. And you look back at the match now, and you're like, this this wasn't a really a great technical match, but everything else behind it like exactly. even the graphics with the little stars and they put them they made them constellations and you just oh my yo everything about that match yep. was huge the title for title ultra warrior going over hogan kicking out at three and a half i mean it's just like three and, it's and just a half like, <laughs> three and a quarter wasn't you know it what? i i dare say they blew the finish i think so Right, because he he, he he was too close to the ropes. Warrior needed that big splash in the middle of the ring. But yeah. credit the three and a half is what made that work. Because yeah. I'm watching. Because at the time I'm I'm 15, 16 years old at the time, and and yeah, when when you saw that one two, and I mean I wouldn't even say three and a half, like three and and just like yeah, three point one four. It was five. It was five. Well, it definitely yeah. wasn't as pretty as a Snoop Dogg splash, but oh well. Fishizzle my nizzle. I don't think he fishizzled anything with that one. You know, it, it, it's sort of funny. <laughs> it's sort of funny, Andy, because you know what? You were talking about where you were uh, during that when that match happened with um, Hogan with and Hogan Warrior. And, uh, yeah. No, yeah. And uh, what year was that? 1990? Yeah. 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 And I was trying to think, I remember too. And, and, and I'm not, this is going to sound horrible, but I, I came back from the dark side. But I remember being, you know, 20 years old. I remember that was coming on. And uh, I looked at my, my girlfriend. And she's like, what are we doing tonight? And I said, well, I want to watch this pay-per-view. And she said, well, I'd rather fool around. And I said, what's wrestling? And I totally missed. <laughs> I took a 10-year break from wrestling after that. And yeah, but oh, I came back. Good. Took a 10-year break oh, from wrestling. No, I, she was the only in the beginning. When I discovered Whoa! girls, wrestling, wrestling fell off. Though. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you my finisher in here. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a pile. Anyways, um, <laughs> all right, Rick. Yes, you're you're up next. Let's let's talk about one of your favorite matches. And right. Let's talk about why. One of my favorite matches of all time. Of course, I have to have the excellence of execution in here. Brett the Hitman Hart versus Owen Hart, SummerSlam 1994 cage match. Yes. Ooh. Oh my God, man! First of all. Any match with Bret Hart can make this list easily for me. I, I mean, I love the guy. He, no, I don't care. You just lost your Canada card. Uh, You're never getting me. yours, so cut it out. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm still trying. We're me and Ellie were blocking it. He's kind of a New Yorker too, isn't he? So, what's that? Brett's kind of a New Yorker too. With his there, you go. Side, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, it's just like he's. It was just an amazing story. I mean, the build-up to this was about a year in the making. You know, you had Survivor Series where Owen was the only one eliminated and Brett and his other two brothers, they ended up winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just learned today that Greg the Hammer Valentine was one of the knights and uh, Barry Horowitz was the other knight. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I did not know that. That was fucking amazing that I saw that. Um, and then, of course, we had the, the uh, uh, WrestleMania 10. They had their match, which was, again, a, a could also make this list. But with that all being said, we have a year worth of story coming to a head in SummerSlam inside a steel cage, Brett versus Owen. You got the whole fucking family ringside. I mean, the family... I feel like the family goes to every match, but this was like the big one. You know, the whole family, you got Bulldog ringside, you got Amble there. Um, great match from beginning to end. Owen gets his foot stuck in the, the cage. Brett escapes the cage, wins the match. Uh, Bulldog gets attacked by Anvil. Everybody's just like, what's going on? Then the family just, just separates and goes their separate ways. Um, one of my favorite matches of all time. Like I said, storytelling, technical wrestling, Brett and Owen, one of the two of the best to ever do it is come on, man. Like second to none. Okay. I loved it. I, I think that whole, I mean, you, you could pick one match from that sequence, but I think that whole storyline from start to finish, I mean, I mean, there's one thing to be brothers, but in, in, in and this might be a bold statement and I'm not being biased as a Canadian here, mm-hmm. but in, in the history of brother versus brother matches, I don't think anything oh, comes close to that. Nothing. Program this far because they've tried it with the hardies and and just other i can't even think of gibbs i think the gibson's diners or gilbert sorry the gilberts um nothing comes close to that program that's a good point and getting back to andy's point before about uh you know hogan and rock and and they didn't touch each other what Mm -hmm. owen and brett did is everything they did and if you notice you know owen would do his stuff off the ropes and stuff but but everything was done with purpose, crisp, and solid. Mm-hmm. You believed it was a fight, and I believe it was a fight. Yeah. And, and that is the pure science of this business. Mm-hmm. And that's something, and, and to that point, uh, even more so because it's a brother versus brother, I think anybody with a sibling can relate even more because yep. chances are you've either been in a fight with your sibling or you, you know, you've wanted to at some point <laughs> and you know, it, it, these guys have to lay it in there. I mean, they're still professional. They're still going to work. You know, it's going to be snug, but that believability factor is going to be there. Otherwise. Well, yeah. Like Darren says, other, like, yeah. That, but that again, you know, the, the sibling rivalry thing you point <laughs> out the WrestleMania 10 finish. How many went when and, and he still had to work Yokozuna at the end of the night. Yeah. Still, right? Yeah. After, after you, you wonder why that was in the opener. No kidding. Right. But that finish when when Owen got and how he did it, it was kind of like he just transcended the Davy Boy Smith finish from SummerSlam 92 and yeah. put it into the finish of WrestleMania 10, just slightly different variation. But a pin. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Now, I got a question here that I'm going to throw out uh, before I talk about my views of this match. Okay, I know I started in wrestling, obviously, in the, the say, around 82 to 83 when I started really getting into it. But had there ever been uh, any other before this? Had there ever been two brothers in a cage match against each other? I don't know. Like, maybe the Funks, Briscoes? I have no idea. Does anyone recall if there had ever been brothers on a big scale in a cage match against each other? Sorry, is that Guerrero's maybe, the Guerreros maybe Texas? Yeah, Undertaker like, and Kane. Uh, we said brother. <laughs> well, who let the American talk? To? We said brothers. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, as far as as far as North America goes, yeah, you know, probably possibly not, eh? Mexico too. Yeah, right. 
if you get into Mexican history, there's there's that long family legacy that's always been. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's a whole different world, and we haven't exactly. quite connected it exactly. up in North America yeah. with us yet. But, but top of mind, yeah. I, you know, brother versus brother in a cage. I, I can't yeah. give you that answer. Yeah, I'm sure it happened maybe in like a regional promotion somewhere, but on a yeah. large scale and a large. Not company, on the major I don't level. Think it did. Now, for me, I remember um, when I grew up. Uh, I remember meeting Bret Hart. Uh, in Stampede Wrestling before he went to the WWE. And I've always said, you know, that's why I always ride Rick about his love of Bret Hart is when I had met Bret Hart, it wasn't that he was a jerk. It's just, he was pretty cold and didn't seem to really care about the fans very much. Like you'd meet him outside or something and he'd basically brush everyone off. He just didn't he like was, you. Even, <laughs> even though he was like the big, the big hero, he never acted like he gave a crap about the people outside of wrestling. So a lot of times you go to Stampede, nobody even tried to talk to him after a while. They just gave up. It was like, you never talked to him and you never tried to talk to Dynamite Kid. Those two guys just wanted nothing to do with fans, right? So when he went to the WWE or the WWF at the time, I followed it and I was like, yeah, that's cool, you know, whatever. I was much more excited when Bad News Brown went. Um, but when Owen went, Owen was different because Owen was so approachable after every Stampede Wrestling match, anywhere you'd see him, he was so nice and approachable. And he also, I don't know, man, of all the guys who came out of Stampede at the time, in my heart, I always believed he was the one guy who had more than everything, more than all those guys at the, in the last 10 years of Stampede. He just had in him this talent that was just a tiny bit more than everyone else. And the problem was he'd go to Mexico and they'd showcase it. He'd go to Japan, they'd showcase it. So then he comes to the WWE and we're all excited and they make him the blue blazer and he's a joke for a very long time. For so long, he doesn't really do a lot. Then he gets this break against his brother. And yeah, a lot of us fans were a tiny bit irked that they made him the bad guy, but we, the, the love we had for Owen Hart was like, it didn't matter. We were just happy that now he was in the main event. He was getting the showcase. He was, people were going to finally see that Owen Hart was just as good or maybe even better than Brett. And that's what this match meant so much to me to see the, the, the whole feud. He was finally being elevated and it didn't matter that he was the bad guy. It just mattered that finally people were going to see him on the main stage. He was the focal point finally and how long, if you'd been a fan of his, that it got for him to get there. I, I really think he dropped the ball in high energy. That was his definite, uh, or was it the new foundation? Or, the no, new high found energy. Yeah. No, no, him, yeah. But, the th but here's the your point. Laser but, and everything. But here's the thing too, is you look at that, that's not him dropping the ball. That's just shitty no, no, booking. <laughs> yeah but that's the point is then they step back again and they go back to like devaluing him but for that moment it felt like Owen Hart had reached the pinnacle it didn't matter if, if he won or lost because yeah. Brett had already made it right but Brett yeah. was doing everything to bring his brother the spotlight and that's probably where I've liked Brett Hart more than ever in my life was to see him share the spotlight with his brother and not try and hog it as most wrestlers tend to do you know, in this sort of sport. Uh, once, anyone else? Once Owen became the king of hearts, right? Yeah. Once he became the king of hearts, it didn't yeah. matter if it was the European Championship, the Intercontinental Championship. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was toe-to-toe -to -toe with Stone Cold, just as yeah. he was getting yeah. that rocket strapped to his ass, right? I mean, that unfortunate incident, be it as it may, Owen was right there with everybody. Didn't matter yeah. what he did. He was legit. Yeah. Now, anyone else want to weigh in on this match that Rick brought in? Things that you got out of it or felt about it? I mean, you, you guys, I think, have said a lot. Have, Elio, did you have anything you want to throw at? I know. I just uh, thought this was a great match. 
just the whole storyline, mm-hmm. Brett Owen, that started all started like at the Survivor Series a year earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, yeah, the whole storyline is great. Now, we do have an American here on the panel, Rick Serrano. Uh, the rest of us are Canadians. And do you think it made a big difference that as a Canadian, the way we saw it, or was had had the brothers become universal enough now that American and Canadians got the the same feel out of it? Any takers on this or not? I I was waiting to hear Rick first being okay. the American, so that's why. Yeah. I was- oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think it did anything. I mean, I just saw them as who they were. I didn't, I never saw them as uh, being a Canadian or American. Like, I, I don't think they were at that level yet where they were. Uh, I mean, I know they were promoting that they were from Canada and everything, but it was never – it was more of where is this dungeon at? You know, that's that's what I cared yeah. about. Yeah. Every time they brought up the dungeon, that's that was probably the biggest thing. But uh, once they turned heel, then it became a Canadian thing. I think that's when it really stood well, out. But that, isn't, even- that isn't quite what I was getting at. What I was getting at is the fact that, like, uh, especially probably all of us Western Canadians, we kind of – saw the career all the time of the hearts from the very beginning. And I meant as an American fan, you were introduced to them as these guys come in and they're full grown men and now they're doing their thing. We've seen them as they were teenagers yeah. uh, rising up through the thing. And for us, it was, like I said, to me, it didn't matter who won because I'd been invested with these two guys for so long that I was glad to there, but I wondered what it would be like as an American, not to have that growing up with Owen and Brett oh. thing and just having these brothers in there. Oh, it didn't matter. Um, for me, I, I was in love with Brett when I first saw him. And mm-hmm. even though maybe Steve didn't like it, but the New Foundation, and I was all about that too with Owen Hart. Like, I loved Owen with Anvil and the New Foundation. I loved him with Coco. I thought it was great, you know? So it was just like hey, – you know what, I, I don't get – hey, don't slap your head because, Ch- you know what, either of those teams – Probably better than the natural disasters. Oh, that is for sure true. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> no, but that you know, with the with the new foundation, high energy, and that oh. and that was to, to the point, you know, uh, that Owen was just you know as talented as he was, and how awesome that he was. Yeah. He didn't get there till Brett opened the gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the company couldn't ignore him, right? Because yeah. because back in those days, there was a lot more creative control. Yeah. You still had guys like Jack Lanza, Rene Goulet, Pat Patterson in the back and they were talking their matches through and the rest is history. Once they got out and, you know, play in the crowd, do, you know, it's different era. Yeah. And just, just the last thing I'm going to say about this, it, about Owen Hart, especially just imagine now in this day and age or, or just in this, the gall of all this, Owen Hart managed to draw in an all black group <laughs> and become an integral part of the nation of domination, being the whitest, blondest guy you could see out there. Blonde hair, he blue eyes. Fit, he still fit in the group and made a big part of it. So that, that's Owen. All right, uh, Steve, why don't you throw out your yes. first match? You know, I've, I've got so many, so many, so many, but this one I remember because to me, it was the last real hardcore match that the WWE had as a company. Mm-hmm. And that was Backlash 2004 with Randy Orton and Cactus Jack for the Intercontinental Championship. Now, I'm sitting in the audience. Andy's in the building as well because it happened in Edmonton, mm-hmm. uh, Edmonton, Alberta. And that was uh, Mr. Benoit's big rematch after uh, WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, truthfully, I wasn't, I wasn't sold on Randy Orton. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't. And that was before he won his, because he won the world title at SummerSlam that year. 
right? He was the young, became the youngest world champion, if you will. But I wasn't sold on Randy Orton at all. I really wasn't. But Evolution was doing their thing because that, that was a stacked card. I remember. I mean, there was Ric Flair against Shelton Benjamin was unreal. It was, it was just it was just a, it was a great match. But getting to the hardcore match, I, I, I just the whole match, I'm sitting there watching. I said, you know, Randy Orton, I mean, Cactus is going to do this. Cactus is going to do this. Cactus is going to do that. But whereas the opposite happened, the thumbtacks came out, Randy Orton took them. Yeah. And then the yeah. barbed wire table and then the flaming bat. And then the only, you know, you know, not that Cactus didn't, you know, do his thing, but, you know, he took the stage bump at the end there. And, and but at the end of the day, Orton, you know, he's, he's gone on to a Hall of Fame career. There's no doubt about it. He's he's a Hall of Famer bona fide. And speaking of guys that keep reinventing themselves, and you know, he, he's a guy that that has subtly reinvented himself, but hasn't really reinvented himself. Yeah. If you look Randy yeah. Orton even going back to Ohio Valley to now. Mm-hmm. Very subtle. The only difference with Randy Orton now is his ink. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Oh, he got a new tattoo. Okay. He's the Viper. He's you know, Venom, he's a legend killer, whatever. So then the question I have for you, Steve, is you said you described this as the last hardcore match you believe from WWE. Why? What made this last one? Why do the matches now not fess up to that? First of all, let me make myself perfectly clear. I don't consider hardcore wrestlers. Wrestlers. You know, nothing against what they do. I'm I'm not going to not call them wrestlers because Mm -hmm. as I've gotten older, I've I've learned to appreciate professional wrestling as, as style. Mm-hmm. There's people who like hardcore. There's people who like strong style. There's people who like real sports entertainment. There's people, you know, et cetera. It's just a flavor now. It's like music. You know, it's mm-hmm. hardcore is a genre of wrestling, if you will. Yeah. Um, in this case, WWE is, since 2004, I don't think has gotten this extreme. You know, you've had your, I think it was Cena and Brock Lesnar, where it got pretty ugly with a chain. But in this essence, you had, you had a barbed wire baseball bat that they lit on fire. Mm-hmm. They had wood wrapped in barbed wire that they put in a corner uh, garbage cans uh, they had the thumbtacks and a lot of thumbtacks and it's just something that wwe hasn't done to that level okay and they haven't had a performer i mean you know ecw that match was an ecw style match on the big stage mm-hmm. and and wwe and, and again you when, when, when they booked that angle and Cactus said, hey, it's going to be a street fight, hardcore match for the Intercontinental title, everybody thought oh, Orton's a dead man. Doesn't, doesn't have a chance in hell. And he was cowering and he was trying to avoid it. And he was, you know, and then because because I think he didn't quite bring Cactus Jack back until that night. Yeah. Or that match, if I recall. So once they saw him, they're like, oh, forget about it. Cactus is coming out. It's 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 all over. And then Randy, you know, hit the RKO, which till this day he still hits the RKO, and uh, it's over. But it, it took the WWE. I, I don't know how they got away with it, but it was at a time. And now, you know, they're catching heat yeah. from their from their television people saying, "Hey, your product is weak." And and part of that is is you look back. That's what sixteen. That's two thousand four. Yeah. So that's almost 17 years ago in April, it'll be 17 years mm-hmm. when that match happened. I can't think, you know, you've had your hardcore matches, but nothing, nothing at that level. There was, mm-hmm. there was blood. There was, I said the thumbtacks. It was more than one bump on those thumbtacks. It wasn't just like, eh. Yeah. There, there was multiple. So it and, was unbelievable. And those are, those are superstar talents. 
And let, mm-hmm. yeah, let's not forget Randy Orton is wearing trunks, you know, yeah. and that's all he was wearing. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, there was no, you know, as Jerry Lawler, I think, calls it, it was like a, a gimmick or a gimmick alert. Or gimmick, yeah. you know, when he talks about when Warrior was wearing the hat and he ate the uh, the mirror. Yeah, and or if guys wear white guys are wear white shirts. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, especially when they normally don't. And that's yeah. It's like, oh, okay, why is Warrior wearing a hat? Oh, that's you know, that kind of thing. And, and yeah, Orton was straight up Orton gear. Came out in his yeah. evolution gear and uh down he went and, and he ate everything. Like, mm-hmm. I think he ate more in that match than Cactus. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the audience and I'm like, I can't believe this kid's doing it. Yeah. But he did it. And, and he I did think- it well. That was a well, for a hardcore match, that's about as good as it can get for a combination actual wrestling match and a hardcore match. It wasn't just, everything yeah. had purpose in that match. And yeah. It was, it was something. And so we're pretty clear to agree that this is probably, in a lot of people's mind, the elevation of Randy Orton from taking yeah. that step up from what he was to what he has been. That's, that's the point. Yeah, oh. that's the point I was going to make. And I think I think that's even a general consensus. I, I'm pretty sure even in past interviews, Randy Orton has said like that was kind of the, you know, the the. the the T- well, he didn't say this is a TSN turning point for us Canadians, but but that was like the point in his career that elevated him, took him to the next level because it's like Steve said, like people weren't expecting that type of performance mm-hmm. from Randy Orton, and you know he knocked it out of the park. So. Well, not, they just they just I don't think like like me sitting in the odds, I didn't expect him to, you know that I thought yeah. the timidity level would be up, the shy away level would be up, no. No, he earned his stripes that night all in one night. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and with that match specifically, what's one spot we remember? We remember the thumbtack when he brought it for the RKO. You remember his face covered with crimson blood and him just, ah, you know, like that's a spe- – when you have special moments like that, that's what makes these matches special. When, when these moments stand out to you and you can just – you can just remember it. You just be like, oh, yeah, you remember that Cactus Jack Randy Orton match? Oh, yeah, when he got thrown on the thumbtacks? It's just like those are special moments that we are not going to forget, and that's what makes it one of the best matches. I agree with Steve. That's a great choice. Yeah, and and for me, what also made that match stand out is it was a hardcore match that wasn't gratuitous. Yes. It had purpose. You know, some guys, they have, hey, look at me, I'm a hardcore wrestler. Okay, I'm going to put a garbage can on a guy. I'm going to hit him with a kendo stick. I'm going to you know, yeah. put some barbed wire on the ropes and, and rub his head on it. You know, no, everything in that match had purpose and had reason. And it wasn't done excessively. It was done just right. Okay. It was WWE doing ECW better than ECW, in my opinion. That's why mm-hmm. I look at it. On a bigger scale, yeah. On a, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. All righty. Anyone, any last things anyone wants to say about this match? Missing any points? No? Elio, let's move over to your first pick. My first pick, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13. Who are those guys? No, I'm just kidding. Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Just the, the, this whole storyline, which started in at Survivor Series 96. And, uh, of course, he had Austin, who was the guy that everyone hated. And slowly, they started cheering for him. And then WrestleMania 13 happens. You have the double turn... That right there, that was uh, one of my favorite matches. With uh, when you had Austin trapped in the sharpshooter, he's bleeding and he just passes out. Oh, amazing! 
Now, it's like the drama and the action that match. In, in anyone's opinion here, had Stone Cold tapped out, would it have changed the whole trajectory of the, the development of the Stone Cold character? If, yes. if Okay. I, I've 100%. always wondered that myself. I've always thought that myself. 100%, because that's what got him the, the reaction he got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. was the fact that, you know, because it got to a point in the match, and again, it's fantastic storytelling by Brett. Mm-hmm. It's tremendous work by Austin following and, and timing between two very talented individuals. Now, in that match, at some point, you could see Brett, you know, he, the crowd starts getting sympathetic towards Austin when Brett keeps working the leg, working the leg, working the back, you know, and it was like, okay, he's yep. had enough. See. Austin just given his all. And then of course, when he starts bleeding, you know, people are really, they're like, Oh my God, this guy won't stop. But it wasn't, it wasn't like the John Cena Superman. I'm not quitting stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, it was selling with purpose that, that, that sold that story. And it was mm-hmm. done slowly, methodically and right. It's yeah. just, it's just things that you wish you could bottle and sell. <laughs> you just can't. It's one of those moments. And and how great is this match? A submissions match with a guy that doesn't do submissions. <laughs> how great is this match when they were able to pull that off? Like the fact yeah. that Stone Cold, who was I borrowing that part, that it was a submission. Yeah, and it's like Stone Cold is borrowing <laughs> the million dollar dream because he was the ringmaster once upon a time. Yeah. He doesn't have any other he doesn't have any other submission, but he's in a submission match with Bret Hart and they <laughs> fucking make it one of the greatest matches but of all time. But that was part of the that was part of the booking, right? Yeah. Cuz at that point they were throwing Bret that USA Canada angle started yeah. not long yeah. after that. Yeah. So of course you're in, I, I believe that WrestleMania was in San Jose if I recall. And uh that was the Mike Tyson one, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, no. No, was Tyson was 14. 14. 13 was in Chicago. Chicago? Anyways, <laughs> not, to get, not, not to get too off topic, but you think about that right there. You're already putting sympathy on the heel by making it a submission match. Yeah. When Brett is the excellence of execution, his finisher is the sharpshooter, and all all Austin has at that point for a submission hold is the million-dollar dream. You're already putting some sympathy on the heel by booking it as a submission match. So there's, so that match as a whole, if you take the whole baby face heel dynamic out of it, that was booked as a legitimate fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how it was absorbed by the audience. And it was, again, perfect. Something I wish you could bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. See, th- this was an extremely good pick, Elio, because uh, this is one of those matches where if you've been a fan for, you know, for 20 years it's one of the you remember parts of that match like oh yeah yeah so vivid and the things that happened it were so sticking in it um my first pick for matches i gotta admit when i first picked it i'm like okay this is my all-time favorite match in the history of wrestling for me and so i know there are going to be a lot of fans who listen to this that won't understand this match they won't know who maybe they've heard of one of the guys in there but i can probably guarantee you a lot of you fans probably never watched him wrestle but to hear steve striker uh say what he said warms my heart because he's going to know who this is and what this is all about but my favorite all-time match is a one-hour draw between nick bockwinkle and kurt henning 
And it was, it's, it is literally the only match that I have on DVD. And I've got like, I've got like a whole wall of DVD stuff. I used to buy well, up until two years ago, I'd buy every wrestler who came out with his career thing. I'd buy all the AWA stuff I could find anything. I've got just tons of these things, but there is only one I watch and that's the Kurt Henning one because it has the one hour draw on there with him and Bockwinkle. And it is the only time in my life I can think of putting in a match that I know is not going to have a finish. I know it's going to go an hour. And yet every single time I watch it, the last two minutes of it, I keep almost thinking that Henning is actually going to make this. He's going to get the win. And it goes down even when it's going, you know, you can watch so many of these matches that end and draw these days. And you know that, yep, they're just riding out the clock. You know, you, you don't invest in the other way, like the old days where Time was running out and you believe maybe they'll get that pin in and, you know, you don't get that anymore. You know, these days when you, whenever you see matches going to the time limit, it's like, okay, the guy's just going to hold it out. He just has to hold it out and then, you know, they'll go on. But that match, I've seen it so many times and I legitimately believe that Henning might just get that win in in those last five seconds. And it's an incredible match. It starts off slowly, but with anticipation. That's another thing too. It seems these days, when we get to the, when they, they rarely try uh, Iron Man matches anymore or matches that go very long, unless you're New Japan. Um, but in North America, you find people are either so bored at the beginning of these matches because they know they're conserving their energy. This was a match where guys just went in. They didn't go balls to the wall, 100 miles an hour at each other. They were two guys who'd faced each other before. They knew each of them could win. Bockwinkle, sometimes he could play a bit of a coward at times, but he was a guy who knew his shit and he knew he knew his shit. And he went in there with the attitude is, I'm going to, I'm going to schoolboy this young guy, you know, I'm going to teach him a, a freaking lesson. And then you have Henning, who's grown up in the AWA, watched Bockwinkle for years. He's uh, been working on his thing. He's been in some crappy tag teams. He's done some stuff. Now this is his moment. And he has the chance to dock off. And I know people want to say Vern Gagne, but I always think Bockwinkle was the greatest AWA champion. Um, he was going for the man now. He was going for the class act. He was going to go and prove that he was the better wrestler. He wasn't the better fighter. He wasn't the better scrapper. He was the better wrestler. And these two guys took it to each other for an hour where you couldn't help. I mean, if you walked in and you never knew Nick Bockwinkle, you walked out of there as a Nick Bockwinkle fan and a Kurt Henning fan. They did so much in this match. You want another remarkable? Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, sorry to no. cut you on. The remarkable thing about that is Nick Bockwinkle was 53 years old. Yes. A lot of people, you forget that. There's no way you look at him at that at that way. Um it's it was a different time of wrestling and a different and some people may say the style was different. But I don't think so. I think it was a very classic match. I think if two guys were to put on that match the way they put it on today, they could probably make it a classic too. It's just nobody tries that anymore. It seems everyone has their own new updated version to do these kind of matches. So um, that is my away from that match a little bit. One thing, yeah, you never you never see in the wrestling business anymore, at least in the WWE anyway, you rarely see the crisscross anymore. Yes. I want to see somebody do a damn crisscross <laughs> and, and then have that big high spot. You know? When a high spot meant something, it's like, yeah. what are these guys doing running back and forth? They're playing chicken with each other. Who's going to drop down first? Who's going to tackle first? Who's going to leapfrog? It's, it's, it's an incredible spot you just don't see anymore. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and, and for those of 
that are young and don't understand who Kurt Henning is. I mean, that's Mr. Perfect right there. Mm-hmm. And um, the guy was a fantastic technician. And you have, like you said, Nick Bockwinkle is in his 50s at the time. He's almost done with his career, but he ends up putting on a great match. And it just shows you that just because you're older doesn't mean you can't still put on a great match. And I, I mm-hmm. implore you guys to go look back at this match. This is a great match. It's one of the best to see a young guy versus an old guy. Like, look at the matches we were named. Look at Andy. He said Hogan and, and The Rock. You know, that was a great match because we, and we had this older guy versus this younger yeah. guy, this up-and-coming star. So it's just like it can happen. It's just now we're getting Goldberg versus Drew McIntyre. Like, <laughs> Yeah, see, but one thing, you know, as we've kind of gone through this first round, you know, and it, and it kind of touches in with what you were saying, Rick, is every match we've picked, there's been the emotional connection and there's mm-hmm. been solid story development behind it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even to say uh, Hogan Rock, to say Bachwinkle Henning, you know, about that, that youth versus the age, and then to throw in, well, McIntyre Goldberg. Well, McIntyre Goldberg, there's no story. No, there's nothing. You there's, disrespected there's, the legends, yet you were yeah. nice to them the entire time. And so it, it, it's, you that, it's that cheap pop. <laughs> it's that quick fix. Yeah. Uh, you know, whereas, you know, you wanted to see what was going to happen with Henning and Balkwinkle because, you know, Henning was like the up and comer. And like you said, mm-hmm. for, for things to happen, you look at Brett versus Owen. Again, you pick, you know, you go anywhere on that timeline. And I mean, their brother so there's a story built in but the way the story was built and the way it elevated you know it only got bigger and better austin and and uh brett, and brett yep. same thing like it, it you know same as orton and uh and cactus, cactus. And cactus yeah. yeah you have a guy everything coming into as, his own yeah. against an established guy everything but everything that i'm listening to it's like story development emotional connection and for you know our regular our regular viewers our regular listeners to me that's one of the biggest things that i harp on that's and that's frankly missing from most of today's wrestling and that's and that's that's almost a that's just as much a commentary on society as it is on wrestling in general that's absolutely it i mean when you have you know commercials going to five seconds you have you know everything is uh it's grabbing attention Yep. Right is what it is. It's it's just grabbing attention. No, we can't. We you know you guys. Okay, you got three minutes, curtain to curtain. You got five minutes, curtain to curtain. Okay, you got this big main event, but you're only you you got three minutes. Yeah. What do you do? Boom, 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 boom. You don't have, you know, fifty minutes. Like honestly, as far as as far as my time, some of the some of the favorite stuff I liked was uh, was in the South and in in, uh, in Georgia when they didn't have the television title. I think that was the best run a television title ever had. You know, when you had Tully Blanchard. As television champion, you had Steve Austin as, as television champion, Bobby Eaton, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's getting back to being able to tell the story. You know, they just, I mean, how many false starts did Kofi Kingston have until he fluked on the new day? You know what I mean? Yeah. Push, push, yeah. stop, push. It's a long and, and again, all these matches, you know, and you, you talk about that story development, you know, uh, Brad and Owen, that was what, like a year and a half in the making, like, yeah. you know, Hogan Rock, same thing. I mean, not a, not a year, but I mean, the time was there. Uh, Cactus Orton, like Henny, everything. It, it, it's all time. And just as, as Steve was talking and, and agreeing with what I was saying earlier, to me, almost it's like life is all about cheap pops now. Yeah. Well, the, everything uh, is. Click on your computer and watch all yeah. this bombardment between things. And 
And, yeah. and I want to say one thing. If anyone had a wrestling superpower in the uh, in the 70s and 80s, it was Nick Bockwinkel because this guy, he looked exactly the same from when he was 25 <laughs> till he was like 60. He looked exactly the same. When, I don't want you guys to get scared to think you're going to see some old man like you saw Vern Gagne, some old balding grandpa in there in trunks. What you saw here was the guy who looked exactly the same when he was 30. He looked magnificent. You would not believe he was a 53-year-old. Yeah. Oh, no, the Ganya metrics. Ganya metrics. That's it. Ganya metrics. <laughs> Google or YouTube that one, kids. Yeah. I think that's oh, even that's a hidden gem. On, that's a hidden gem on the WWE Network, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Well, it's Ganya metrics. It's, it's, it's like Steiner math. It's special stuff only in wrestling. Can you find logic? That Anyhow, let's move on to our next round of matches. Andy, start us off. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm This one, I, I went in a different direction, and I can see, you know, uh, TJ's already kind of chuckling. Because... Because <laughs> it involves you? Because it involves me. <laughs> and you know what? But you said, you know, like, pick favorite matches. And, and for anybody that knows me well enough, mm -hmm. uh, I, we often talk about being our own worst critics. And, and I find that extremely true about myself. Mm -hmm. um, but and especially for the conversation, the way the conversation has gone on from the start of the show, this match ties in, although... You know, I think probably TJ, you may be the only one that were you there that night. Did you see the yeah. match? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and, and by all means, if I say something that you feel is off, please say so. Otherwise, you know, I implore you back me up on this. So this match that I'm going to talk about, and, and it's the other thing that's funny is, you know, when you kind of said at the start, oh, well, we are kind of like picking all older matches. And this mm -hmm. match happened uh, about uh, almost three years ago, mm -hmm. March, 2018. Uh, here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada for the PWA, I believe it was the 18th anniversary show. And it was myself versus an individual uh, named Big Bad Boris. Now, Big Bad Boris is not a wrestler. He was actually the uh, audio video guy for the company. He was also uh, manager at one time for Tex He was Gaines. manager at one time, yeah, Tex Gaines. And, and uh, there was somebody else, some juggernaut or somebody. Yeah. But regardless, um, so just to give you a little bit of backstory on this quick backstory, uh, at the time, uh, I was the acting commissioner. I wasn't doing much active wrestling, so I was the commissioner. Uh, our January show, we had an event. It was called the New Year's, uh, New, Year's or New Year's Resolution or New Year's Rumble, Resolution Rumble. And it was a similar style to the Royal Rumble. Uh, so for kicks and giggles, and I was, you know, I was part of the booking committee. We didn't have one guy booking. We had a committee. Uh, you know, we like to do the kind of thing where let's throw in – some entrance that people aren't expecting, mm -hmm. you know, so whether you bring back a couple, a couple guys that used to work in the company, whatever, Boris, uh, great guy. He's like, in, you know, lifelong wrestling fan. He was somebody who was like, man, like I want to get in the ring. I want to do something. So I came up with the idea. I said, well, let's, you know, just throw this, throw this out there and, you know, maybe we'll plant a seed for somewhere down the road, not knowing how this was going to you know, end up uh, panning out. But I said, let's do something where, you know, during the show, we have one or two little glitches with the audio. And then we'll have it where I'll come out and I'm going to stop the show and say, hey, you know, like, I'm sorry, everybody, you know, for as much as you hate me, uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in putting on a good show, yada, 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 like a New Yorker would say. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I got to call somebody out here. So we bring out Big Bad Boris. And again, he's a former manager. He's been around the company. Uh, for a long time, people know who he is. 
you know, he's not like a, like a regular kind of like in front of the camera character, but people know who he is. Very beloved guy, very easy to like, uh, as far as like baby faces go, very easy to be a baby face with him. So I give him, you know, I give him grief for, for these glitches. And I say, look, you know, I'm going to give you two options here. You know, you can either quit or you can put yourself in the rumble because if you're going to embarrass these guys, I want you to get in the rumble and you know, you're going to have to take, uh, take some lumps here and God bless him. And the, the crowd got behind him and they're like, you know, they want him to, to be in the match, to be in the match. So, you know, like any good baby face, underdog baby face, he accepted, uh, he went in the match. He lasted maybe a minute. I think 40 minutes. It was, it was short. Like yeah. Basically, I think he got in. He got one or two licks and then basically got tossed, yeah. which from, a, you know, from a, a realism standpoint makes sense, right? I mean, he's not a professional wrestler, nothing like that. There's no reason really for him to, to last long. So he gets tossed out. That's fine. Um, between that time and our next show, it's determined that uh, behind the scenes, uh, I'm not going to be able to make PWA shows. So I've, I've got something uh, with work related that's going to have me working Saturdays because that's when we're doing our shows and just it would be too much to, to try and, and get off of the show. So I had to go and say, look, you know, to, to management, to uh, Kurt Sorok and the owner of the company, uh, I'm going to have to bow out. I don't know when I'll be back, but, you know, respectfully for, for my time in the company, for my time in the business, can you let me kind of have my own farewell? And so he's like, what do you have in mind? And I says, well, he says, I want to, I want to do a match with, with Boris and I want to put him over. And so I'm um, very grateful to, to Kurt. He, uh, he was down with the idea and basically kind of just left it in our hands. So from that January show to March, we only had one more show. Uh, but what we did was we told a story with our interviews and we did our vignettes. So it's kind of like, we kind of had free reign to do what we were doing. We were posting stuff up. Uh, I was talking trash, you know, I made the, you know, I made the challenge. Uh, I questioned his manhood. I talked about his family, everything, a bully, everything, an ass, everything a good heel should do. He accepted. Uh, he was the, you know, the, the timid baby face. He you know, says, look, Hey, I'm probably gonna get my, my butt kicked. Uh, but, but I'm going to be a man and I'm going to do this. As we got closer to the show, we threw in an added stipulation. We said, okay, Boris, if I beat you, when I beat you, uh, you're going to be my personal servant for 30 days. And we've, you know, world-class championship wrestling, yeah. uh, recently with AEW, nothing new in, in storylines for professional wrestling. If I happen to lose the match by some fluke, I would be gone from, from PWA. And as a commissioner, as a heel commissioner, safe to say, I don't think there's really anybody that had more heat than I did. Is that a fair statement? No. You, Thank you, sir. Hated you. Thank you. Uh, still do. They still do. <laughs> they still do. Yes. Yes. We, when it was time for the match, we came out. Uh, the video doesn't do it justice. I tried to do a little spiel before the match. I couldn't even finish what I was saying. We had about 600, 700 fans. I couldn't finish. I was trying to do my own introduction about three or four times. I had to stop because that's how loud the booze were getting. So at that point already, it was like, you know, this is like, and, and as I say, as, as I'm about to say this, yeah, exactly. In the palm of my hands, but this is, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, I'm like Hogan and the Rock, but we had the people. No, you know what I mean? Like, and that's why like, I'm, no, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm you, I guess that. you. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm not putting up myself there at all. Andy Anderson was just like, <laughs> <laughs> you see this Boris? <laughs> Boris, you see this Boris? 
but but it's like at that point we knew we like even before Boris came out, we had the people. He finally came out, and the people were solidly behind him. Uh, and again, similar to that match, but on an independent level, the crowd was there from start to finish. If they weren't booing and chanting "Andy sucks," mm-hmm. they were chanting for Boris. And you go back and watch the match. Again, simple match. I mean, this is a guy that's not a trained professional. And to his credit, you know, I mean, I, I joke about, well, this was kind of the one time in a match, you know, people say, hey, a really good worker can, uh, you know, work a match with a broomstick. So I would joke with Boris, hey, man, you were my broomstick. But, <laughs> but uh, you know. No insult there, Boris. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to his credit, he sold well. Yeah. He had the facial expressions. Everything, like everything, a bay face, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys even now that are, that, that wrestle and they could take lessons from that. He was just the ultimate baby face. It was great. It was just the perfect timing, the perfect combination, the storytelling that people got behind him. Uh, you know, I didn't have to do much punch, kick, talk some crap, you know, yeah. thumb in the eye, whatever. You couldn't, you couldn't wrestle him. You had to find him. Exactly. You know, if you watch the match, there was like no throwing against the ropes because, hey, he's not a trained professional. Why is he, why are we running ropes? Yeah. But those are details that are often missed. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, when it came time for it, the, the comeback, I fed into him. It was, it was all simple stuff. We listened to the people. It was there. It was there. Uh, one fact that I, you know, that I openly share now, I actually shot the finish on him. We had a finish planned. And in my head, I was like, okay, well, depending on how the crowd is, I may do something different. And the only person I told before the match was the referee. So we went through the match and like, this was what was supposed to happen. Uh, slingshot it to here, one, two, three, but instead we were working the sleeper hold and he was, you know, he'd get me in it. I was reaching for the ropes and, and the people were chanting tap, 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 you know, and it just kept doing it, kept doing it. And then I called the, it was a funny spot, and, you know, Boris, we, this is a running joke with us, but I like, I'm telling him, I'm like, you know, grab the body scissors, get the body scissors. And I mean, I'm, you know, usually I'm very good with my calls in terms of people not, you know, seeing when I talk, the referees telling him to it's like, you know, get the body scissors. I'm pretty sure there was even a guy in the front row who yelled at him, <laughs> get the body scissors on. <laughs> so finally he threw the body scissors on. He got me down and uh, eventually they did, you know, the check in the arm, the one, two. And again, because this very rarely happens in professional wrestling these days, the arm went up for three and it dropped. And for that moment, it was quiet because I think everybody was surprised that the arm actually went down and then the place popped and it was great. And for me, it was good because rather than a pinfall, I was able just to lay there. Boris was able to have his moment. Kurt came in as the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the owner of the company, he was happy, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead. They started the, the, uh, na, 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 Hey, you know, goodbye chant. Uh, I actually got literally like dragged out by security through the doors. Yeah. The security dragged him out through the, yeah, it was just, you know, so, for me, it was one of the best matches I've ever done, I've ever been a part of. But what I'd like to kind of point out and how I'd like to tie it into all these amazing matches that are head and shoulders above what we did was there was emotional connection. There yeah. was emotional content. There was storytelling. And I have no doubt that as we go through the second round, the, mat- the rest of these matches we talk about, it's going to continue to be emotional connection, emotional mm-hmm. involvement and storytelling. And when we talk about 
what's missing from matches and why we're not listing matches in the past 10, 20 years is unfortunately there's very little of that. And I'll use that Ray Phoenix, uh, Kenny Omega match. You can do all the moves in the world, you know, and maybe you can tell some sort of a story with it. But if the people aren't, you know, it's one thing to go, wow, that was a big move. That's your cheap pop, but to Mm -hmm. actually be invested in it. And it's like, wow, that move made a difference. Mm-hmm. And is going to have a difference on, you know, is going to have an effect on the outcome of the match. Mm-hmm. It's just not there like it used to be. Yeah. Used to work a body part. Yeah. 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 Now, yeah. I was there for this match and I'll give you my perspective. Uh, I remember, you know, like I, I had going, been going most months and I kind of missed the month in between. So I didn't get to see the buildup of this match. So as I go into this, I'm thinking why in the hell is Andy Anderson fighting the sound man? This is kind of stupid. Like, how is this going to work? Right. And I had no hopes for this match. Okay. And uh, because I'd missed the buildup, I had no idea. Right. So I'm thinking they're just like, okay, I have no idea why this is going to happen. Then when uh, the fans come out, uh, when Andy comes out and the fans are just like trying to throw abuse at him like crazy. And I'm like, Wow, they really, really hate Andy. That's that. Uh, they really hate Andy. Okay, I'm still in my head though, wondering how this is going to work out. And then when Boris comes out, and the fans are actually cheering him, and they're buying into the story, I was taken aback. It's like, wow, that worked. You know, I've seen this kind of story fail a lot, where they can't get the fans to back that person. Where it's kind of like you'll have the few peep hardcores clapping, but a lot of people going, whatever, yeah, just get this over with. But no. The fans invested in this and bought it. Um, you know, you're not going to say, uh, I mean, technically, it wasn't that great of a match. Nope. I mean, Andy, uh, he's been notorious to tell you that, you know, his high spot is kicking the bottom rope and, uh, <laughs> and yelling at the fans. But, yeah, but um, he's, he's the walk and Hogan, don't forget. Yeah, <laughs> he does <laughs> sniff the air quite well. Um, but the way the two of them interacted, uh, the emotion they were showing and, and, and just you just bought into it. You actually believe this was a guy who had had enough of Andy's bullshit that he was going to go in there and he knew he might get a beating, but you know, God damn it, he was going to punch Andy in the face the first chance he got. And that's what you got out of it. And uh, the best touch of all, and I really want to explain this because Andy has said this, but I don't think people understand the scope of what this looked like. When the security took him out of there, okay, you have to understand where they were. They weren't at a set-alone building so that you just walked outside to the parking lot. Okay, they were fighting in the main gymnasium in a university or I guess a technical college. So as they're dragging him out, there are literally students who are taking classes and going between things and going to their lockers, watching a guy get dragged (laughs) past them down the hallway by a bunch of security guys. They have no clue wrestling's going on. They have no idea what's going on in the gym. They just see security dragging this dude out dressed in tights. So for me, that's, that is one of the best uh, images. And I wanted you fans, and and I'm sorry, I'm going to throw this really quick, this one tiny little story. This reminds me of another time of of a wrestler. Um, We used to have in Red Deer, we used to have matches at the Red Deer College. And there's courses going on at nights and things there too. And the gymnasiums, like in any other gymnasium, they're cut off. So if you're not in the gymnasium, you don't necessarily have any idea what's going on in the gymnasium. There could be sporting events, whatever. Chances are you're not really going to hear anything. And there was a time where there was a wrestler who uh, they had wrestling in there and they'd have them change down 
like probably like half a hallway down from the gymnasium. So you'd walk into your clothes, go into the back and then come out onto the stage. Right. So wrestling's on one night and there was a wrestler. Uh, his name was Knight. And he used to dress really hilariously. He'd had like, almost look like, uh, what do you call it? Like short shorts, you know, like he like cutoffs. He'd almost wear, they were so short and he'd wear a netted like black. Daisy Dukes? Like, almost. like Daisy Dukes? They were so yeah. small that they were almost like that. He'd wear a black netted shirt, right? And he'd paint his face with like devil symbols and crap like this or blue or some shit. So he comes walking out in his gear and he's telling me about this. And he goes, yeah, I come walking out in the gear and a bunch of girls who are carrying their books going to class stop and look at him, right? And he's standing there in this ridiculous getup and he's like, casual Fridays. <laughs> Just walks nice. by and goes up to the door. Well done. Well done. <laughs> so this is a funny, I love these stories about <laughs> gymnasiums and schools and wrestlers, especially when people have no freaking clue what's going on. But uh, yeah, this match definitely, uh, it tapped into something good. And that's what we're going to go on. And I'm pretty sure Andy's right. The rest of these stories are going to tap into some other stuff. Rick, tell me your next match. I mean, clearly I want to talk about my match with Vince Steele. Nah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> hey, for the record, for the record, in, 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 a, in a private group conversation, Rick Serrano third did want to talk about the Andy Anderson versus yes. Matt Boris match. But because yes. I already picked it, he was a little slow on the draw. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you got to pick something a little less stellar. But that's yeah. okay. But do your best. Bear in mind, he never yes. saw the match. He just imagined Andy. <laughs> I just knew it. I just knew Big, Big Bad Boris and Andy Anderson was the match. But unfortunately, it was, I had it to go was with... the match of that night. I guarantee you. Yes. <laughs> that that, that uh, Michael Richard Blaze took that table bump from Marky? No, I don't no, think that, no. that was no. too. That was a year. That later. was a year or two later. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Never mind. Well, Carry on. No, no, trust me. It was the match of the night. Trust me. Unfortunately, I can't pick Andy Anderson versus Big Bad War, so I have to pick <laughs> Triple H versus Undertaker, WrestleMania 28, Hell in a Cell, end of an era match. Who are those who, guys? Who those guys ever beat? <laughs> but for me, this match, man, first of all, it didn't end an era, but it the build-up to it was epic. I love the build-up. First of all, Undertaker was really working one night a year, and this was WrestleMania. Um, WrestleMania 27, when he had that match with Triple H, and he ended it with the, the what's it called, Hell's Gate, with mm -hmm. the, the triangle choke. Yeah. Yeah. It was epic. With Triple H having the sledgehammer, getting ready to pop him with it, and he just passes out. It was epic. So how do you make this better? Well, you bring Shawn Michaels out of retirement, and you tell him, listen, I need you to be the referee. We're going to have this match in Hell in a Cell. Undertaker cuts his hair, has his shaved head, and he's going to go ahead against uh, uh, Triple H. Now, Shawn Michaels, obviously, being a dick that he was, super kicks Undertaker at one point. But this match was so good. It was brutal. Like, Undertaker's back was so cut up from the chair shots that Triple H was hitting him with. And Undertaker prevails, wins, and is still undefeated at WrestleMania. I mean, it was epic. And then all three of them are on the at the runway together to end this match because it was supposed to be the end of an era and if they would have ended at that moment for all three of their careers i wouldn't have had any complaints i would have been like that's the way you end it and it was so good i i just love this match one of my favorites and i think i have something with cages because my top two matches have to do with, <laughs> with a cage and hell in a cell so 
The man yeah. likes his gimmick matches. <laughs> yes. Gimmicks. All right. Anyone want to weigh in on something from this match that, uh, that you might have taken away from it? You know what? I'll touch uh, on it quick. Cause I know it's going to, it's going to come around, but I'll take the cheap one, the easy way on here. Again, you know, storyline, emotional connection, emotional, you know, investment. Uh, I think one of the fortunate things, and I'm not taking this away from this match or any other Undertaker match, but, you know, especially in the later stages of his career, you know, basically any match involving the Undertaker at WrestleMania has a built-in story. Yes. As soon as you have it. But when you throw in, you know, as Rick said, you throw in Triple H and their history. You throw in uh, Shawn Michaels as a bit of a wild card. It just, yep. you know, it, it adds to the, the intrigue because it's like, okay, well, you know, it's like you said, he's a dick. It's like, will he do something? Will he not do something? Well, if he does do something, can the Undertaker prevail? And it's like, you know, going into the match, you like to think it's like, well, Undertaker's going to win for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, but wait. Is he? Because I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's Triple H, and you know Triple H wins matches, but and he's got Shawn Michaels in there, and it's like those two, like DX. I mean, they got their history, so that means. And Undertaker retired him. Yeah, and it's like yeah. So you know when you when you add in those layers, you know you could say oh well they're the main eventers and they got to throw all this stuff in. Well yeah, but that's just it. That's just throwing in these layers to the story that makes it more intriguing. That makes it where you need to tune in because you want to see what happens. Because if you, if the Undertaker is going to get beat, I want to see how he gets beat. Like, what is it going to take to beat him? And if Undertaker is going to win three F fives. Yeah. But I want to know, like, what did the Undertaker have to endure? What did he have to get through? Oof, yeah. You know, like what hell, what trenches in the battlefield does he have to get through to get that victory, to maintain that streak? Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 a great pick, and I'll I'll agree with you as well. Like, you know, you know what you I mean. You know what? In the end, I'm glad it did. But man, what a storybook ending way for that to finish. If, if like those three guys were like, "Yep, we're out." I yeah. I agree. Like I would have had zero issue with that whatsoever. Okay. All right. Elio, you got another match yep. for me? Yeah. Uh, that that's uh, that's uh, the one. Uh, that's the one uh, thing I took away from that was that. The three of them standing at the on, at the top of the runway at the end. That was that was a perfect way to end that. Okay. Do you have a Do you have your second pick for match? Yep. All right. Let us have it. From 1981, Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler, MT Arena match. MT Arena match. Okay. Yeah. I'd be Memphis, Tennessee, Mid South Coliseum. April 25th, 1981. Um, Tell us about this match, Elio. Okay, um, I just I saw this for the first time just uh, a while back, but uh, the, just a storyline: Terry Funk wanting to get rid of Cherry Lawler, and uh, the story they told here was uh, at the end uh, he was going after Lawler's eye, and then Lawler hit him in the elbow and uh, caused him to stick the foreign object in his eye, and. Uh, Following that, they had uh, the promo. He cut a promo on Waller, and he had the pad, the eye patch. So he kept up the storyline, and I just thought the whole build uh, here was well done. The storytelling. Wow, yeah, I, I never even seen that match. I could imagine how yeah, crazy it was to be in an yeah. empty arena. 
And I thought it was I thought it was going to be longer. This was like a 15 minute match. Yeah. Well, also bear in mind, this is like 1981 and there hasn't been like today where we've seen one million different uh, gimmicks. Yeah. This was like yeah. something special, something, you know, today, if we said an empty arena match, most of us would just laugh and scoff like big deal. Right. And they yeah. Needed it. yeah. But here. Wow. You know, this was something important. It hadn't really this was been the, done. the very first one. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and anyone else have any memories or uh, input on this match? It, you know, they did the empty arena because because Terry Funk, you know, they wanted to take the crowd out of it. Yeah. Right. And that was that was yeah. that was a big part of that. You know, because yeah. why, why else would you have, have why else would you take a guaranteed sellout at the Mid-South Coliseum and not get a guaranteed sellout? Yeah. The amount of money they left on the table, like if anything, that was bad business. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll say that. That was bad business. However, <laughs> if you want to talk about sacrificing for a bigger picture, an empty arena paid dividends because one thing Memphis did and did well is you know, being a territory at the time, they had people going in and out all the time. So, you know, Terry Funk would do his thing or, you mm -hmm. know, uh, Fuller would come into the territory, whatever would be the big antagonist to Jerry Lawler. Then they yeah. disappear. And a few months later, here comes Jimmy Valiant or, or somebody mm -hmm. else. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, you lost loser leaves town match. Yeah, but you know what? I'm back. And then they always have that underlying... I call it spiderweb booking, where you have the spiderweb, and somehow, some way, everyone is connected in yeah. some little way, and yeah, that's yeah. my favorite style of booking. And okay. Memphis is one of the best for that. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And the barbecue. Absolutely, <laughs> brother, preach on high. I'd love to get back to Memphis. Favorite. Their music, however, no. Anyway, wow. <laughs> I, I'm glad. I'm glad you already put me over for the match. So because that's that would be some heat there. Well, Andy's Andy's favorite's birthday's coming up here. So it's yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, we're from we're filming tomorrow. Tomorrow's a big day. Excellent. Well, you know what? The match I'm going to pick. So my next match that I'm going to pick is a match that uh, happened. I, I think in '81 or '82. I can't. Right, I think it's '82. And. I, of course, because where we were living in Canada, we were ge geographically cut off. I was living even in a small town in northern Alberta where we didn't even have cable for the longest time. And then we got, I got Stampede Wrestling and then we got TSN. So I got to also watch AWA Wrestling. And uh, those were the only wrestling I got except for magazines. And we're not even going to go to the story of, of my mistaking Dusty Rose for Hulk Hogan. We're not going to go into that kind of stuff. Uh, but we will tell you about <laughs> <laughs> what we will tell you about is I would get these magazines, sometimes read some of the things in there and go, oh, wow, I really got to see this, right? Well, there was a match that I'd read about, and it now we would call it a gimmick match. But at the time, you know, these kind of gimmicks, we didn't see much on a, a big national stage. And this was a big national stage that this was presented on. And it was two guys who I'd known, and uh, I don't even think they were in this company anymore at this time. They had moved on to the WWF. And uh, there was definitely hate. There was emotion. And there was a rich storyline behind this going into this. And this match that I'm going to talk about is Roddy Piper versus Greg Valentine in a dog collar match uh, from Starcade. And I got to tell you guys, uh, to this day, it is one of the few really big gimmick matches where I can sit there and watch it still and go it's because it's it's not just 
Oh, how do you say? There was a time in my life where I used to watch the uh, ECW uh, tapes and think they were all cool watching the Bob Wire junk and all that gun. And now I just don't like it, you know, because I, I see it's just a bunch of guys just hurting themselves for other fans to cheer on, right? But this was a thing where even with the brutality in it, it made me honestly believe I could step out and believe that these two guys really freaking hated each other. They really, they weren't just two guys going out there like, Oh, I'm going to cut myself for you and watch me bleed. These were two guys that they had so much hate that they were willing to put on this dangerous thing and try and use it on each other. And there is so much in that where there are some crazy things, but everything makes sense in there. And despite the gratuitous violence, it is done for a reason. It isn't just so well, let's see how much blood we can get. And I think that's one thing that's well, really Piper, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that's missing in today's, especially, you know, and, uh, you know, Steve mentioned this earlier. Sometimes you watch hardcore matches uh, these days and it's like violence for the sake of violence. We always have to up it. It doesn't make sense why we do these things. We just have to do something that's, you know, I mean, the recent thing we had saw a little while ago, uh, me and Ellie were talking about where we saw some match where a guy took a handful of tacks, threw it in the guy's mouth and then super kicked him in the face. That is so stupidly. The, the only reason they did that is because, oh, no one else has done that kind of violence. Let's do something that makes somebody actually go, Ugh, you know, and what's that got to do with storytelling, you know, um, and it, it cheapens the match in the end. So, this match for me showed two really good workers because these guys could both really wrestle put into a situation where they were in with a dangerous object and yet they never broke away from the reality of the story going on about the hate between each other about the desire for the u.s title the yeah. all these things none of that stuff got lost in there for oh in the you know what we talk about wire matches sucky these days uh, it's it's cool when you're going to jump off the top ropes. It isn't cool when five guys are standing there having a powwow waiting for you to bounce off the rope. Oh, then we'll catch you. Um, you know, that kind of nonsense takes away from it. Everything that, that, you know, takes away that spectacular flip. Well, I can see that at Circus of the Stars if I want to see that. I can go watch Circle du Soleil and watch people do that crap. I don't, you know, it's rare that these kind of things can happen in a match and and keep the realism because it's not a real thing, you know? It's a fantasy, but the fantasy doesn't work if you add things to it that take it away. There is nothing in this match that will one time where you'll say, oh, well, look at the way Greg Valentine held the thing, or look at the way his arm went here, like that's obvious, or look at him whisper to the ref, or you don't see anything like that. You know, you took, if, if, if you were an alien from another planet and you came down and threw the, and this match was on TV and you sat there and watched, you think, Wow, what a barbaric world. These two guys are killing each other with a chain. This is some crazy shit. These alien these humans are nuts. And you know? to to be honest, that's what Roddy Piper matches were. Like mm -hmm. Roddy Piper just knew, like, listen, we're gonna put on a fucking show and yeah. we're gonna just tear it, we're gonna tear each other apart, and we're gonna and you know, and I have to say this, Greg mm -hmm. to have a Valentine is one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. And oh I'm yes, sick of Read. people. Just saying that he looks like a female gym teacher. Like, guys, leave the man alone. Push him. Like, like he needs some respect on his name. Like, I know they had the dog collar match at AEW and he was there, but they didn't like they didn't give him his due. I just no. felt like, yo, there's so much more. 
that oh. they could have done for this guy. It's, well, it's because uh, his WWF run really kind of took away from what bingo. You know, the great stuff yeah. he did from NWA. Bingo. Back. His 70s work was epic. Yeah. Stuff in the territories down south. Mm-hmm. But you take a guy like Greg the Hammer Valentine and you stick him in a tag team called Rhythm and Blues. Oh, yeah. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, was probably better than the natural disasters. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Valentine's stuff. I mean, he, you know, he, his intercontinental stuff with Tito Santana was. Oh my big. God! Yes, and his expansion era stuff is is what buried him. Yeah, you know, yeah. as far as as far as taken away from that, or I'm not going to say taint because he made a lot of money in that yeah. expansion era. He, he did well for himself, but you know, the Dream Team stuff was good. I still remember Ozzy Osbourne, and or not? Mm-hmm. No, was that was that the WrestleMania? Were, no, WrestleMania too. WrestleMania two, yeah, that was the Bulldogs. Yeah, Bulldogs versus Dream Team, wasn't it? When yes. when yes. Dynamite took it off the melon and, and yeah. went flying into the crowd. Yeah, I mean that was a hell of a match because Beefcake couldn't work a lick. No, and yeah. Valentine was taking taking that whole thing. No, no offense, Brutus. I don't want to get a phone call from you <laughs> again. <laughs> well, here's the, here's the thing, guys. When I saw this match, right? When I read what about it? Because remember, I read about it before I got yeah. to see it. The history books. Yeah. So as I was reading about it, I couldn't get over the fact I was like, really, Greg Valentine? Because I've seen Greg Valentine. He looks like this goofy ass over fat kind of dude who has a few good moves, but I I don't get it. And then I watched this and I was like, this is Greg Valentine. And then when I tracked down stuff older, I was like, why don't we see this Greg Valentine? This is the guy I want to see, not this watered down version that the WWF's given me. And that's honest truth. I'm not saying that looking back. When I was at that age, that's exactly how I felt. That wow, they watered this dude down when they brought yeah. him over to WWE. I mean, even when, uh, even when they stuck him in that that feud with Ronnie Garvin, and he was yeah. reversing his shin guard to do the figure four. Greg Valentine did huh. the figure four leg lock for years. Mm-hmm. He had some of the nicest robes in the business, man. Everybody yeah. talks about yeah. Flair. Don't forget Valentine, man. That guy had some sweet yeah. robes. You know, I was gonna say the same thing. I was like. They have virtually the same moveset, Ric Flair and Greg Valentine. It's just that Except for the Ric Flair, Ric Flair, Ric Flair has that swag. Yeah. You know, yeah. he has that swagger about him that elevated him to these different levels. I mean, yeah. but when you look at Greg Valentine, like you said, the robe, the figure four, the sleeper hold, you know, it was just like the chops. Everything hey. was the same. Even, even you know, you got the flare bump and you think about Valentine had that awesome, right? The same thing, kind of like the same yeah. style same of that face yeah. bump where you just, you, you can yeah. kind of see it and the, the eyes almost cross and then just, and, man, and, and that was a thing that, of in that 70s, In that 70s, early 80s era, Greg Valentine, when you saw him outside the arena, he had a three-piece suit on, man. He was styled. Yeah. And, and I know, Rick, you're going to hate to hear this because I know sometimes you're you're a little bit younger and you don't go far back as wrestling enough. But if you thought Roddy Piper was a cool wrestler in the WWF, doesn't touch anything he oh, was doing no. in the NWA I, and oh, back. I mean, he was something else there. I, I, I read his book. I looked at back at all of his okay. old matches. I love Roddy Piper. I, when I met him, I was mm-hmm. just like, dude, I love you. Like, yeah. You fought like I read his book and he was like, I fought a fucking bear at 18 or whatever he was. And I was just like, you fought a bear? And he's like, yeah, man, it was crazy. He had no teeth. He was drunk on uh, turkey. (laughs) I don't know the alcohol, turkey, something. Wild turkey. Wild turkey. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, yeah, he was the bear was drunk on that and still messed him up. So it was just like, (laughs) like Roddy Piper was that motherfucker. Like, you don't like you don't like when I say 
that's the kind of matches he would have. Is that's the truth because he was a crazy son of a bitch, and he knew he. The thing is, he knew what the people wanted to see, and he delivered it every single time. That's what made him special. Yeah, no, what made him special is he was Canadian. Yeah, that's (laughs) thank you, thank you. Uh, I was gonna say Rick loves those Canadians, man. I do, I do. Now there's a uh, if you watch uh, Roddy Piper, he has his own bacon. Hey, our bacon's way better. Anyways. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> you're talking back bacon. Okay. All right. Take it easy. Take it easy. Now, the, the, the best part is if you guys ever watch, there's a Roddy Piper uh, WWE video, you know, encapsulating. They always have a yeah. uh, video they do on certain guys. If you watch his, it's really funny when he talks about the beginning of his career. Like before he started wrestling, he was staying at like some orphanage or something. Yep. He said, one of the priests comes up to him and says, you know, you're probably going to end up on the streets, uh, do a bunch of stuff, end up in jail, get raped and died. And he's like, do I have any other choices? <laughs> Are you sure this is... <laughs> I always remember that part sticking in there going, really? Can I do something else? <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was another... So he got, got, got thrown off there. But Roddy Piper... Yeah, those two guys, that match for me was just some and a revelation. Because yeah. unfortunately, the expansion, as we've talked about in other episodes of WWE, one of the biggest ingredients was water down all the wrestlers you bring in for the violence to make them more cartoony and uh, you know, uh digestible for a national audience. And that's what they did. One man gang. Yeah. <laughs> keep naming them. They keep coming. <laughs> yeah. hey, on a, a side note, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta ask Rick, Rick yeah. something real quick here. On yes, a side sir. Note. Okay, so you love Bret Hart and you love Roddy Piper. What the hell did you do at WrestleMania Eight? Oh well, that was my that was one of my matches. That's a like a, a little um, honorable throw mention in there. Honorable mention: Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper. I love both of them. I didn't know who to choose, but that finish. When he reversed the sleeper hold, I was just like, oh, my fucking God. I, nobody reverses the sleeper hold. Like, like nowadays, everybody gets out of that, you know, but like, and everybody copies it now. You notice that. Every yeah. time someone puts in a rear naked choke, everybody kicks off the turnbuckle and they roll up on him. Yeah. Um, they try. Yeah, they try. But the, but the way Brett did that, it was just an amazing match and – I just loved it. As a fan of both of these guys, I sat there and I was just like, that makes me feel good. Because after that the could match, have possibly been everything. the only decent match on that card. Oh my God, yes, it was. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I love, but WrestleMania 8, one of my favorites. I know. <laughs> I know. My favorite part was Reba McIntyre. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Moving on. <laughs> uh, Steve's second match. Yeah, no, Steven's second match. I held it back because uh he had written me and submitted what he wanted to do, and it actually isn't a match. Oh, okay. okay. And uh and it, it gives me an idea too of uh an episode's definitely we're gonna do down the road. But what he picked is uh what we basically call a vignette or a uh segment. A segment. Well, this would be a segment. So yeah, no. tell us talk vignettes. If you want to talk vignettes, well, nothing beats Razor Ramon. But uh, if you Bad want to talk guy. about segments, and, and funny enough, it was mm-hmm. about 15 years ago to the day. It was on the, uh, the January 9th, 2006 version of Monday Night Raw. And it was the live sex scene between Edge and Lita. And, uh, you know. Come on, I, it's another I, Canadian, Rick. Uh, first of all i hate edge, I hate edge. <laughs> go ahead steve edge, 
listen, I had the honor of working the guy many times previously to his WWE career when he was Adam Impact and Sexton Hardcastle. I, he was coming into Winnipeg with Tony Candelo, and I was in the ring with him quite a few times. In fact, it was his last match before he went up to WWF uh, from where WWE is, I understand. So uh, that was okay. It was a match in Yorkton, Saskatchewan. Big house. <laughs> didn't pop for me like they did for Andy. Can't no. touch all um, 40 of them. But the thing about this segment, if you look at it, because the whole live sex scene was built up because Edge was the WWE champion at the time. He had the spinner belt that he rebranded off John Cena. And they built this whole live sex scene um, because it was, you know, the beginning of the rated R superstar, right? The whole thing. So how do you take that to the next level while progressing a program? And they were able to integrate Ric Flair and John Cena in the same segment while still doing the, I mean, I can tell you this, right? You've got a sold out arena. There's 13,000 people in that arena and you've got a bed set up in the middle of the ring. The guy's down to his underwear. She's pretty damn close to a two leader and they're under the, and they're, they're making out. I mean, there were a couple at the time, but how in your right mind, are you in there with your woman? It wasn't even an acting. I mean, call it what you will, but I, I can't tell the discipline you need to do something like that in front of a live audience on national television it's never been done before, and it's never been done since. A segment like that. Fair enough, fair enough. I always wondered why, if he was going to do sex scenes, he wasn't the rated X superstar. That's the one thing I always wonder. Because R doesn't really take you that far in the movies but in Canada. The, but that's the thing. Once they, <laughs> when they get together, they start making out. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're sucking face something fierce. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, if you're sitting there, you know, if I'm sitting there with my son watching the show, I'm covering his face. <laughs> yeah. There's parents freaking out in that audience with their John Cena foam fingers going, well, what, 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 what's going you on? You can't here? see this. You can't see this. <laughs> for the kids' eyes. <laughs> exactly, right? And dad is and was like, I can. <laughs> Just as it gets hot and heavy, then 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 here comes Ric Flair telling him he doesn't know how to how to do it. Style and profile. Yeah, yeah, and then and then he puts Flair's head in a chair and then hits him with another chair. Well, there's more blood. You don't have that intensity, and then the intense edge comes out, and then here comes John Cena. Fair and enough. Lena's uh -huh. in bed by herself. Edge is 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 cowered off, and uh, there's Lita in bed staring at John Cena, trying to hide under the sheets. You can clearly see her. She's she's there. I'll mm -hmm. I'll give you this. <laughs> I'll give you this. That is definitely one of the most memorable moments and it will never be forgotten. However, for me, that moment in itself, bro, that's the day I stopped watching wrestling. I stopped watching no. wrestling. Yes. I was just, first of all, I mean, I, I loved Lita at that moment. I mean, she looked good. But that was the moment where I was just like, Fuck this reality shit. Reality era. Like, they, like they really are selling sex at this point. You know, I wasn't big on the Attitude Era. And then this was just, like, over the top. I was just like, this is porno now. Like, this is where we're at right now. I get it. But it definitely pulled it pulled a lot of people back into wrestling for sure. Yeah. And it, it, did, it did the right thing. But for me at that time, I was just like, look, like, look, look at who I like. I like Bret Hart. Bret Hart is like as clean as it is when it comes to the wrestling business. You know, he didn't he didn't do these extra stuff. He didn't have to, but uh, he did backstage. It, 
No, I mean, I read his book. You make a good point, point, Rick, in that, uh, you know, people who may not have watched wrestling for a while, shut off for a couple of years or whatever, say, hey, you know, let's check out Monday Night Raw. Let's see what's going on there. And they just happen to hit on that segment. Yeah, ouch. It's going to be a a polarizing segment because you're going to get those, like you said, that are hooked in and you're going to get those like Rick that are like, I'm out. But you've never, but you're going to have that on in a bar somewhere. Yeah, and guys are going, "Hey, what's he doing?" What, what, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, as, as I call it, the figure four cock lock. Is he was gonna? <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. Okay, so you know what? Uh, we're gonna just quickly go and just quickly, guys, throw a few matches. We're not gonna describe. We're just gonna wrap this up. We're just yeah. gonna wrote uh you know uh a match or two that was on your list and just say yeah i really liked it because of this boom we'll move on from there uh steve set us up because we are going to talk about we're going to do an episode down the road we're going to just talk about segments and vignettes and and these sort of setup things that happen you know some of them are crazy you know they range from roddy piper hitting a guy with a coconut to uh i don't know Ms. on the taker and the hey, snake val venus look at val venus oh my look Lord. when they did a but I mean, look, I'm just, you know, but look yeah. at the, this is what we'll talk about. Look at the vignettes that helped set up guys. Yep. I mean, you know, you go back to Memphis days where they would have the videos, the vignettes set up so that when guys got to the territory, mm-hmm. they were already over oh. before they even walked out of the curtains. Before you even said Memphis, Kamala popped in my head and then you just started describing yep. exactly how they brought in Kamala. And it was like, whoa. Yep. So we're going to do a whole episode of that, but let's quickly go around. Andy, were there a few other matches that you really love that you think people just go out and check because they're something cool or damn about them? Well, I'm glad you asked because just as I spoke of Memphis, it's the perfect segue to one that I bring up quite often. Andy Kaufman versus Jerry Lawler. Yes. Okay. And And, sorry, I I, I won't, you know, I know we're not going to do deep discussion on it. But again, it's, it's the storytelling. It's the emotion for anybody that wants to check this out. You know, you you go back and, and see the whole buildup between Kaufman and Lawler, the whole story behind it. Everything is awesome. And it's one of the things that helped elevate Memphis. And it's one of the things that helped elevate professional wrestling in the early 80s in 1982. That includes like the appearance on David Letterman show, everything. And, and Andy Kaufman, an amazing heel. Yeah, all right. That's all any, I'm saying. Any other match? <sighs> I thought maybe if you just do one and go around, but I, you okay. know, yeah. Okay. Elio. No, that, that, that right there. I, I got that one too. You don't have any other one you want to throw? Like father, like son. Well, I guess. Uh, <laughs> That's what Rick? I, yeah, no, no I really I'll, I'll take over. I'll take over for what Elio doesn't have. I got Brett versus Piper, WrestleMania 8. I got CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. So fucking good. Love CM Punk there. And I'm a huge CM Punk fan, by the way. CM Punk versus uh, Undertaker, just mm-hmm. as Paul Bearer passed away, for them to get permission to have uh, Paul Heyman come out as Paul Bearer, like the storytelling there was like, you want Undertaker to kill CM Punk. And and you know what, Triple H? That wasn't the main event because they didn't go on last. So fuck you, Triple H. And of <laughs> course, the greatest Royal Rumble of all, time 1992 Royal Rumble match where Ric Flair with a tear in his eye <laughs> won that match won the WWF title still the best Royal Rumble match of all time I don't care what anybody says <laughs> all right and uh, he's not Canadian <laughs> he's from Minneapolis so it's close <laughs> he's born uh, in Memphis actually Andy was he born in Memphis he's a Memphis boy 
right. Well, that's just, that's just as good as being Canadian because that's pretty special. <laughs> All right. Steve, you got a couple? Just a quick one. SummerSlam 90. Kerry Von Erich, the Texas Tornado debuts and beats Kurt Henning in a hiccup. You want to talk about a guy who never did well on WWF pay-per-views. It was Mr. Perfect. The guy never won. He was yeah. He never won. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it was WrestleMania 9 where, you know, he's, uh, SummerSlams, countless SummerSlams where you'd think he was going to win. But, but what, what I loved about this is because you had Texas Tornado. He wasn't Kerry Von Erich. The only person that kept yeah. Kerry Von Erich was Roddy Piper, who happened to be on commentary. So that Kerry Von Erich, no, actually, maybe it might have been Vince. But regardless, here comes Texas Tornado. The, the SummerSlam match was in Philadelphia. So at that time, his territories were still something in 1990. So here he is out of Texas. And a lot of people weren't overly familiar with Kerry Von Erich. So this guy was known simply as the Texas Tornado. That's all yeah. they knew. So he comes in, you see him going on. Oh, he's got this great robe, this, this, I feel is one of the best ring musics in, in the history of the business. The Texas Tornado's ring music was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever get a chance, listen to it. I listen to it on repeat all the time. I'm weird. Um, he comes in, he's shredded, shredded. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's Kurt Heading and Bobby Heenan selling it like a beast because this match came out of nowhere. And boom, 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 boom. Here comes the club. Heading sets it up by taking his nice turnbuckle bump right into the claw. And then all of a sudden the discus punch. Boom, one, two, three. Heading's out cold. Heenan has a beef. Yeah, his guy lost the title. Oh my God, what the hell just happened? He beat him with a punch. That's illegal. <laughs> and you got the setup for the rest of the program. Simple, yeah. quick, awesome. And, and I'm not even going to, I'll start crying if I start talking about Bobby Heenan. So I'm going to move on from that. Because <laughs> uh, the, the guy was uh, unbelievable. I mean, I'm a lifetime member of the Cauliflower Alley Club. Mm-hmm. So when I get down to the reunions in Las Vegas, you know, being, you know, I, I could tell you Dick Bockwinkle stories, Red Bastine stories, if you really want to get into it and, and we'll have to do an awa show again <laughs> all those gladiators man that i grew up with mm-hmm. as a kid and, and then sitting there beside nick bockwinkle having dinner yeah it's surreal man vance tried to get me lined up with an interview and unfortunately he started getting a turn for the worse when it was but, but set, yeah i so. mean you know a lot of those you know I, I i could go on and on about matches from those you know yep. let's call a scene video all those vhs tapes i mean you have yeah. you have the rockers against the brain busters that's mm-hmm. another one. And then the Heart Foundation against the Rockers. Those, you know, yeah. there's so many gems on Coliseum video that I can go on and on and on and on and on about, but we only have so much yep. time. Andy ate it all. Yeah, Andy. Damn right. Is that the Elio just won't shut up? Okay. Um, <laughs> a few matches, and you, and you got, of course, two of them. I, I'm going to throw out three really quick matches. Two of them are AWA matches. They'd have to be. Uh, one of the matches uh, involved the Road Warriors taking on the High Flyers. I've always talked about this match because of the brutality the Road Warriors inflict on uh, Greg Gagne at the end. And so much, you read it so much at the point at the end where the rings cleared finally and they go to help Gagne and he's so bloody and out of it, he starts attacking the guys trying to help him. And it just rang so much. It had such a resonance that you were like, wow, they beat that guy so badly that he attacked the guys who tried to help him. He was so out of it, you know? There was something about that match I really enjoyed. Another match from an AWA one, a little bit later, and it's surprising, some people may think that I would pick this team to be involved. They weren't a very great team in the overall stretch of wrestling, but it was the Rockers, or I guess they were the Midnight Rockers then, taking on Playboy Buddy Rose and um, 
Doug Summers. Doug Summers. And this was one of the most, it wasn't their cage match. It was the one before it where it was mm -hmm. so bloody. It was the first time you saw uh, um, Shawn Michaels do the Shawn Michaels bleed like he does now, you know, where it looks like every part of his blood and his body is out on his face. This yeah. was a crazy ass match. Um, and the last match you for just, and it's not even, this is so funny because we talk about memories of wrestling here. I can't tell you the exact team here, even though I'm sure you could go look it up, but it's all the stuff that happened and what happened with the crowd after. And it was the match from Stampede Wrestling where Bad News Allen was teamed with um, the Stomper and his son and, uh, and Bad News Allen turned on the stomper and pile drived his son on the cement and it caused a riot, a real actual riot to occur in Calgary where the police were involved. And it was the craziest thing. It actually had Ed Whalen quitting announcing which he'd done for many years. Uh, it had a lot of repercussions, but it drove people beyond stuff. It was, yeah, they were out of Calgary for a while too, weren't they? Yeah. They weren't allowed to write wrestling Calgary for a while. They had to actually go to Susina first nations running their shows for the short term. Yeah. So uh, for me, those are just memories tied in with wrestling. And, and that's it, isn't it? This, here's the problem with today's wrestling is we watch these big uh, companies and they show us these extremely talented guys and they all have great gimmicks, right? But they face each other so much, so quickly. Uh, no, none of the feuds really seem to really mean anything because uh, one week we hate somebody and then we've resolved it a week or two later and then we're on to the next guy. And unfortunately, when you watch wrestling over a year, you're going to see some so many guys cycle through this that it loses its meaning. There is no more attachment. There is no more emotional things to what we're seeing. The reason it's hard to pick uh, matches today as being great matches is because they don't resonate in your heart or with the fans as much. Sure, the wrestling in the older days, we could look back and go, well, you know what? They didn't really do a lot. You know, I look at Stampede Wrestling these days, the old tapes, I still get the excitement. But when I take the critical eye, I realize they're only doing one bump or they're really, you know, nobody goes off the top rope. Nobody goes over the thing. Well, you mean a high spot? Yeah. So <laughs> here's the thing is we've sacrificed good storytelling for the aesthetic look of what we're seeing. And we're realizing now that wrestling can't survive on just the aesthetics. It just the look of it isn't enough. And as we make the look more and more important, we devalue what really attracted people and made people lifetime wrestling fans. And that was the emotions and the stories. Today, we talked about a whole bunch of uh, matches that we uh, deem as all-time greats. And why? Because they had all of those things. The difference with Andy's being a newer one was Andy was in there and he saw the emotional things that he put into it and that he went a different way and it resonated. You know, he would not have gotten that chance had he been on WWE. Him and Boris would never have gotten that chance had they been employees of the WWE to tell that kind of story. It just doesn't happen. Uh, they would have made like Boris a superhero and they would have made Andy, I don't know, Darth Vader or something you ridiculous. You've got to bring Boris on the show with all this <laughs> plugging we're doing for him. Yeah, I have to. I have to. You know what? Just, just, just because I, I, I checked on the Google machine here. Yeah. Um, it was a six-man tag match. Yeah, it was a six-man. Yeah, I said. Referring to it was yeah. It was Stomper. Oh, did you? Okay. Red Hart. Red mm Hart. -hmm. Davy Boy Smith and Sunny Two Rivers. Yeah, against, Sunny Two Rivers. Uh, Archie Goldie. Yeah, Archie Goldie, his son, and Bad News Allen. Wow. Yeah, and, and his son went on to have some minor career. It wasn't really his son. It was a wrestler they brought in. I can't remember who it was now. If you guys look it up, you'll have a good laugh when you find out who that guy was because he actually had some minor success somewhere else. 
But uh, anyways, the whole point I'm trying to say is, fans, check back on some classic wrestling. And you know what? I am noticing that you can find on independent level that there are matches being set up that do tell stories because they have a lot longer to develop stories. Like Rick Serrano versus Vince Steele. Sure, sure. Rick Rick Serrano versus Andy Anderson. Ooh, that's going to be a good one. I'll ref it. Yes. Elio will be kicks. Elio will be his father's young boy, and <laughs> <laughs> so before we go, uh, Steve, I'd like to thank you for coming on today's show. Uh, I want to give you the chance right now to throw out any kind of promos that you want, any kind of uh, social media, anything that can trace back where people can follow what you're doing, who you are, or anything like that. <laughs> Well, as far as my active in-ring wrestling career, that uh, more or less ended in 2009. So I've been mostly helping out uh, promotions, consulting, mm-hmm. up and out backstage whenever I can. Uh, I recently moved here to the Lower Mainland in British Columbia, and uh, I'm on with All Star Wrestling now. So I'm helping with the creative team in the back, uh, although right now there isn't much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you can check them out. Uh, AllStar-Wrestling.com is their, their website. They're on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, Michelle Starr and uh, Disco Fury are the, uh, the owners of the promotion and, and they've been fantastic people and uh, great, a great crew of people. I mean, I think you've had Raven on this show. Yep, she's, she's been a semi-regular. Referees, uh, the big official there, she does a bang-up job and, and Thunder from Jalunder and Azim and, uh, you know, Team USA. And just an incredible amount of talent and up-and-coming talent as well. And that's Who's that bald dude we're always having on here? The one I worked with for so long. The beefy one. The beefy one. The beefy one. Oh, yes, Mr. Beefy Goodness. Yes, that's Nevada. Yeah. <laughs> Recently mentioned on AEW Dynamite. Yep. Yep. We, 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 uh, yeah, he got his, he got his, uh, he got his payoff. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then you, know, you have the cameo. It's a thing. You know, like I said, I've been, I've been around this business now for, uh, Damn near 29 years. So I've seen a little bit of everything from an old territory like AWA to the expansion era to the attitude era to ECW. I mean, I've I grew up in this business with guys like Don Callis, who's now doing his thing. I, I've worked Kenny Omega twice early in his career. It's uh, it's it's stuff I've been able to be treated with. Uh, you know, seeing these people go to the next level. And uh, it, it puts a smile on your face because you can kind of live through Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and I'll always love this business till the day I die. The good, the bad, or the bowling shoe ugly, boys. Well, you're speaking of bowling shoe ugly, Rick Serrano, tell us about the, all the shows on our network. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, you can go and check out every Friday Wrestling POV Global with Elio, uh, Andy Anderson, and TJ Logan here. Uh, they cover everything from AEW to New Japan, sometimes Impact, sometimes Indie Wrestling. They got NXT UK as well. And you can find us on Saturdays with Wrestling POV Podcast. Myself, Elio, and Tony Diaz, we cover everything WWE, except for NXT UK, obviously. But everything else, we got you. Action-packed. And, of course, you have this show. We have every Tuesday, we have uh, WPOV Quarantine, our Zoom-based show, where we talk about random wrestling topics, and we bring on some big names like D'Lo Brown, Steve Stryker, and more. Um, and, of course, we have WPOV Aftermath, where we, have, uh, we discuss after every major pay-per-view. 
And also, I want to throw out, we have some T-shirts, but uh, not our T-shirts. We're not going to push our T-shirts today. We're going to plug, uh, go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash CM Punk or Mick Foley or uh, Brody Lee. Um, all of their uh, shirts are going to the Brody Lee family. Mm-hmm. And you can also go to AEW, purchase a, a Dark Order shirt or Brody Lee shirt, or go to CollarElbowBrand.com and purchase a Brody Lee shirt. All the funds are going to the family. Um, so, uh, that's what we're going to be pushing today and for the next month. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, again, God rest his soul and, uh, uh prayers and to all that family, to some family and the fans that uh-huh. are losing out on that. So, uh, make sure you I buy a that. shirt. Excellent. Excellent. And you know what, uh, as good as D'Lo Brown and Steve Stryker were, Moore was an awesome fan. Okay. Uh, Elio, tell the people where they can uh, write in. You can write it in on Facebook at Wrestling POV Podcast, Instagram Wrestling POV One, and Twitter at Wrestling POV. And you know what? If I had to grade Rick Serrano's uh, spiel about our shows, I would give him a C minus because he forgot to tell you all the different platforms that you <laughs> could find the show on. But I'm going to give him a T- chance, right? TJ, now. Oh, I, I was going to say, TJ, where can you find these exciting podcasts? Ooh. Ooh. Ah, uh, I spot no. I All right, radio. I'll do it. I'll I, do it. Okay, you can do it really fast. I've seen him do this super fast. Go to iTunes, YouTube, Poppy, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn Radio for free. Oh, and you know what? I know Rick said he wasn't, but Andy, if I wanted to purchase a T-shirt for WPOV Wrestling, where exactly would I go? How much are they, and how many are available? Well, I'm glad you asked, TJ. If you'd like to find out and get for yourself one of your very own wrestling pwpov t-shirts please go to pro wrestling backslash backslash wrestling pov where you can find not one not two not three but four different designs all made to look like the superstar that you think you are they are 1995 us dollars each or for approximately 80 dollars you could get all four that's one heck of a deal so go to prowrestlingtees.com backslash wrestling POV and get your shirt now. I think it's WPOV Wrestling, but yes, you know what he's getting at. And you know what, folks? Just uh, buy the shirt! I'd like to say thank you all. You know, it's always fun hosting the show. I'm really sad that I became an exorcist and raised uh, the spirit of Don West and put it into anime. <laughs> I'll see if I can exercise that out some other time. But for now, I want to thank each and everybody for tuning in. Uh, it's been fun. Elio, you mouthy bastard, say goodnight to the good people. Okay, bastard, talk to y'all next week.